You know, we are, we're connecting coaches with courts. That's our mission is to connect coaches with courts, you know, amongst other things that we hope will change things for coaches. Hi guys, this is Philip Kim and this is Tennis Pal Chronicles, the podcast to feed your passion for all things tennis. And I'm so excited to be here talking to you with my co-host Valerie Garcia. Hi Valerie. Hey Philip, what's going on? Uh, not too much. It's really busy at the Langham right now. There's lots of uh, visitors from around the world that are visiting the hotel and taking tennis lessons. It's a busy season, I guess, like the holidays and everything. So it's been a lot of tennis lately. How about you? How are you? That is a good thing, right? Busy and lots of tennis. It is. And I get to meet a lot of really fun people from all over. I, I wish I could stay in touch with them and continue to play with them. But at least I get to have that one experience with the people that are visiting. Yeah. Uh, it's going to rain the next couple of days, I think. So do you have anything scheduled? Is that going to mess with you? Probably is. Yeah, I do have a lot on the calendar, so we'll have to see and play it as it goes. Yeah, very rare problem we have down here in Southern California. <laughs> well, especially since last week, this is November, and it was kind of record heat, right? I mean, it's pretty pretty warm. Yeah. Well, I wouldn't say record, but it was very warm for November, and you feel like... Yeah, I think it was like 95 or yeah, something most yeah. days. This is like Christmas in Hawaii or something. <laughs> <laughs> It is very beautiful out here. I can't believe we're almost at the end of the year. And uh, gosh, we just went through the ATP end of the year finals as well, which was pretty dramatic in a lot of ways. And I guess we can touch on that at the end of the podcast. Can't wait. Yeah, that's going to be really fun. But this podcast, we have a special interview with Shauna Barish Wilson. And I really had a great time interviewing her. Uh, I feel like she's someone who has been making tennis happen in her area, which is the west side of Los Angeles, for many, many years, um, putting together a great program with the SBW Tennis Academy. She has quite a few well-known friends, including our previous interviewee Sarah Stone from the Women's Tennis Coaching Association. Yeah. And who else? <laughs> and, <laughs> a name everyone will recognize. Yeah. And a surprise Grand Slam winner that uh, you'll find out if, as you listen to the interview. Yes. She was also part of the Women's Tennis Coaching Association conference that happened in New York. And because she was there, she got to kind of hobnob with a lot of people. And of course, Tennis Pal was there, so they got to connect as well. So that was pretty cool. What is so exciting about what she's doing is how she um, can hopefully work with Tennis Pal to make her, all these awesome ideas that she have has come to fruition. Yeah, I love how creative she is. I love how she's trying to find really innovative ways to grow tennis in her area, even though the courts are really full. And even uh, some of the courts in the West Los Angeles area are being closed, um, unfortunately. And that's probably happening all around the country, even though the USTA is pushing hard to save courts in the United States. Um, there are a lot of places where tennis courts are closed or being converted into soccer fields or pickleball or um, just, you know, money-making um, condominiums, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or businesses. Exactly. So it's a far cry from the 70s. From what I hear, everybody was in demand for the tennis courts and people really were had, had to wait in line. And actually, we get into fights because they were trying to get on the court, you know? <laughs> I actually played tennis, uh, when was it? Sunday. And um, yeah, there was people waiting. Like someone showed up and they actually left because they realized that both courts um, had just started. And then someone came again, uh, right when we were wrapping it up, and I, I got, to, I just told them like ten more minutes, you know. But I was like, oh, this is this is nice. Yeah, um, that is. It, it. What's to me interesting is that you are surprised that there are people waiting, and that's the problem, right? Is that we are in a culture where there just are not enough tennis players, and there, a lot of tennis courts are kind of ghost towns, and uh, you can't really blame the cities for wanting to reclaim an area that they feel like is wasted because nobody's using it. So Correct. If, if we were playing more tennis, if there were more tennis players, if there were more tennis programs, then perhaps the city would support it because they obviously want to do 
what they can for people in their constituency who are enjoying the courts. But yeah, unfortunately, it's a popularity contest too. It is. And I think part of my surprise was not so much um, that people were playing tennis or in that area. It was kind of the time of day that it was. Um, What was so unique? Generally, what I have found in my experience is that in the morning, it's the most crowded. And then uh, in the evening, it may be... I've never really seen lines in the evening, but maybe I see full courts in the evening. Hmm. Um, we were, this was in the middle of the day, um, like four or five, like I guess afternoon, which like we just discussed in Southern California means 90 degrees. <laughs> and it's been my experience that when it's like, when the sun is ablazing, like yeah. people are, I'm like, it's cool. Like nobody's going to be out there except for me and Philip. Cause we love to go <laughs> we love run around in the sun. <laughs> Bring it on Miami heat. <laughs> yes. Yeah. For, for us, uh, usually in my city from about one o'clock to about five, six o'clock, the, you know, the courts are, are empty because yeah. nobody wants that sunshine. Yeah. And that's, that's kind of why I was surprised. Cause it was in that same time frame where I was like, people aren't generally fighting for tennis courts, right? In mm. this in this time of day. Yeah. Well, even more so, tennis is popular on the west side of Los Angeles. And so Shauna came up with this idea of, she, she had a hard time getting courts to teach on in the public realm. So she decided, hey, I'm going to go and see if anybody who has a private court, a court that's in someone's home in a residential area, in their backyard would allow me to go and teach there. And so she's really built her whole program. She's been teaching for 17 years. She built that whole program out of what she calls home court, which I think is pretty amazing. I love the idea. Yeah. And I, I can't wait to hear her elaborate more on, you know, the backstory of how that came about and all the details. So let's listen to her talk about her story, shall we? I can't wait. Okay. Let's welcome Shauna Barish-Wilson. I have the honor to welcome Shauna Barish-Wilson to the Tennis Pal Chronicles show. Hi, Shauna. How are you? Hi. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's an honor. We're so glad to have you, and we feel like we can learn a lot from you. I'm excited that you're right here in my backyard in Southern California. I mean, the perfect place to play tennis, right? Yep, we are in uh, Pacific Palisades, Brentwood, and Santa Monica, so west side. Yeah, and just uh, just as a side note, isn't it sad that we don't have any great tournaments besides Indian Wells in Los Angeles? Uh, yeah, it really is. I think uh, you know the timing of it just didn't really work out for for LA. What do you mean by timing? Just the way the summer we used to have the tournament at UCLA, but the way the summer schedule was, um, yeah, you know, we just didn't get any big names here. They didn't want to travel to the West Coast and then back to the East Coast. Got you. So you're talking about the timing of the the pro players themselves coming to the tournament. I see what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think it was uh, it was just hard to sell tickets and compete in Los Angeles, right? We always say LA. It's so hard to just get a lot of people together. You've got to have like huge name draw and power, and you're competing against like you know a, a big Marvel movie opening in Hollywood or something. Yeah, it was. I think it just the talent started dropping and dropping, and people lost interest, and it was too far gone. Yeah. Yeah. I did go to, that was at one time it was called the farmers, uh, tournament. Right. And I did attend that one time. Yeah, no, it used to be, it used to be pretty good. The the women's was good down Manhattan beach for a long time. Yes. Right. And, and of course, Serena and her team and, uh, they would play. And so it was always a treat to be able to, to get to see them. So that's kind of amazing. Yeah, I agree. I agree. It's too bad. Maybe one day. Maybe one day we'll get it back. Yeah. (laughs) Well, how did you end up in Southern California? How did your tennis journey begin? So I actually grew up in Southern California, um, played all through the juniors um, here. And uh, my family ended up moving to San Luis Obispo when I was um, a teenager and would play, you know, all of my tournaments down here, drive down every weekend. And then I ended up uh, playing in college and then going to Europe to play after that and somehow found my way back to Southern California after that was all finished. 
Wow, that's a long drive uh, from San Luis Obispo all the way back just to play tournaments. You're pretty dedicated. Yeah, I mean, that was that was kind of the deal. We had a team. We actually had a lot of really good players up there at the time, and we all um, had a coach that used to coach on tour that would bring us all down, and it was really fun. You know, we competed. It was a really competitive group. Everyone was ranked pretty highly in Southern California, and it was a really good program. Do you, do you mind sharing some of the names of the people in the program and maybe the coach in, in case they're, they might listen to this and you can give a shout-out? Oh, Hugh Bream. Best coach on the best coach I ever had, Hugh Bream. That's great. And some of the players that were competitive, are they still playing tennis or? Um, well, Paige Billingsley, who um, was my very dear friend, she still coaches. She played for Cal Poly up there. And um, who else? I'm not sure. I'm not sure where everybody else is. There were some good players. Stephen Hardy, he coached. He played at North Carolina. Um, his sister Danica, she played at Nebraska. Um, it was a good crew. That's great. And a lot of times it's really born out of that kind of um, synergy with a lot of great players, right? I mean, I think that's why maybe people go to Florida because they're hoping to get a higher level of competition. I totally agree. People follow the good players, whether the program's great or not, you go where the players are. Right. And it really helps to up your your tennis and your tennis level. So it sounded like you got to a really high level of tennis. That That was must have been a very exciting time for you. It was, it was, it was exciting. And, um, you know, on the other hand, it was pretty demoralizing when you realize that you really weren't going to be able to make it, you know, as a pro tennis player. So you have yeah. to figure something else out. <laughs> you you mean to like the top 50 players or something? Or even a like. hundred, even a hundred. Yeah. You know, yeah, it's because- so tough. Right, it is. And and uh, recently there's been a lot of talk of e- e- the people outside of the top 100 really just don't have the financing uh, or the support to be able to even make it a career for them. Yeah, no, it's uh, there's just not enough money in those challenger events to get you where you need to go. Right, and it's incredibly competitive still, I guess. Everybody's so- Everybody's really good. <laughs> yeah. So do you, how do you feel about the evolution of tennis from when you play to what it is now? Do you feel like it's increased and you've uh, become a coach, obviously, and you can talk about your coaching journey, but uh, I feel like tennis has changed pretty dramatically in the last 20 to 30 years. Yeah. No, I mean, I totally agree. I think that it's funny because, you know, I coach on the west side of LA and the kids that I see here, it's so different than the way that we all grew up playing, where we all worked so hard and tenant, we were really dedicated and dedicated to working as hard as we could and getting, you know, to the highest level we could. But it's pretty different with these kids here. There's, they're not quite used to the same level of intensity that we all grew up with. That's interesting. Do you do you consider that part of the current tennis culture? Do you pers- maybe youth culture? What would you ascribe I, that to? I think youth culture and immediate gratification and all of those things that our kids, you know, are face facing <laughs> today. <laughs> you know, it's like I got dropped off at the club at you know eight in the morning and I took a lesson, played a clinic, and played a match. You know, and got picked up at five. Yeah. You know, it's not like that anymore. Yeah. Do you feel like uh, that has kind of broken down the tennis structure, maybe? I think it's a big issue for sure. Mm. I think kids don't, they don't call up other kids to just go play. Like they don't, you need it. They all need a coach to be on the court with them at all times. Right. So it's either a lesson or it's nothing. Right. Well, tell us a little bit about how your coaching journey started. So uh, you were playing in college and, um, and then what, what's the progression? Yeah. So, well, I went to Europe to try to, you know, kind of do the best that I could and make some money and it didn't work out the way I wanted. So I figured I'd go back to my home base of Los Angeles and I fell into coaching a hundred percent by accident. Um, I got back and had a small identity crisis where I, you know, threw my rackets in a closet and I said, well, I'm done with that. I'm going to get a real job now. Right. And, right. uh, I realized very quickly that I did not want a real job. (laughs) So I actually, a friend of mine who was running the program up at the Riviera country club here in Pacific Palisades, um, 
said, hey, we really need someone to come help with this high-performance program. We heard you're here. Why don't you come help out? And I said, absolutely not. And he called me a week later and said, we still really need someone. Why don't you come help us out? And I said, absolutely not. I'm not doing that. I'm not coaching. No way. And they called me again a few days later, and they go, what are you doing? You're not doing anything. Just come up and just help for a week. And I go, fine, fine, fine. I'll come. So I went up there, and... I kind of loved it. I loved what I was doing. I had a lot of freedom to do what I wanted to do with the kids and a few specifically um, top ranked kids. And I had a really good connection and they asked me to start hitting with them and then eventually start coaching them. And um, it just kind of went from there. What, What do you think was your aversion to coaching when you first were asked? You know, I just, I never really pictured that I guess I hadn't really pictured anything past tennis playing tennis right and it was just like an extension of more tennis and I think I just I needed a break but I didn't know to do what so when I got up there though and I became pretty successful immediately I go oh I can actually I can do this you know one of the kids that I played with one of the first kids I coach ended up getting a full ride to Stanford um and you know, it was pretty exciting. I really enjoyed so awesome. time on the court. Yeah. And you're helping really to create a positive outcome, uh, which is, and you're using something that you're incredibly talented in and maybe you, you realize, oh, I actually am incredibly talented because maybe after losing for a while, it was really tough, right? Yeah, I, to- I totally agree. I kind of caught on to that really quickly and... You know, it seemed pretty attractive to me, but the part that didn't seem attractive to me was working at a club, um, you know, underneath kind of a tennis director and having them kind of give me guidelines of how they wanted me to coach um, with certain people. And very quickly, I figured out a different way to kind of launch where I am now, which is it wasn't SBW Tennis Academy then, but it was, I need to leave the club and do this differently the way I want to. So um, find me a place to do that. Oh, that's interesting. The Riviera is really one of the best clubs in Southern California. They have a huge connection to tennis. Uh, they really support it well. I, I was good friends with Pam Austin when she was there. Yep. Um, and, you know, they really did a great job with trying to create new programs, even though it was very insular because it was Riviera members only. What What is it about that system that, that didn't rub you the, r- the right way? You know, I just wanted the freedom to create programs individually for everyone who was in front of me. Um, and it didn't seem that free to me. It was still kind of dictated by, you know, whoever was running the whole junior program. Yeah. Um, it's funny. A funny story is they would always put me on the front court because I had the best kids most of the time. And I would always get in trouble because I do my own thing. But the kids, <laughs> but we were always on the front court still. And everyone was loving what we were doing. And, um, you know, after a bit of time of that, you just start to bump heads a little bit. And it's time to kind of go create your own thing. Gotcha. Yeah. Maybe that's just your creative energy and just being able to create something that comes out of you, out of your mind. And it's uh, kind of the direction that you want to follow. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I just thought it wasn't even that I thought that I was, you know, doing things so much better. I just wanted the freedom to do, you know, what I thought each kid needed specifically. And it's Uh, very satisfying personally. Yeah. I just needed to be able to create my own program. And so create your own program you did. You I you did. Cre- <laughs> you created SBW Tennis. Uh, how did that evolution happen? Yeah, so I basically realized that there was no club that you could work on work at in Los Angeles that you could really make the money that you deserve to make with the amount of work that you were doing. Um, and I thought about it and I said, you know, the only way I can really do this is if I work at it private home. And there's so many homes. I'm lucky enough to live in an area where there's, you know, so many home courts. And so I wrote a letter and I drove around, it was before Google earth, but I drove around all the little neighborhoods that I wanted to work in. And I put about 150 letters in different mailboxes of courts that I thought would be a good location to start my business. 
Wow. Um, yeah, it's actually a funny story. So out of 150 letters that time, I got one call back. And yeah. It was from this woman, oh, the loveliest woman. Um, her name was Dodie Haight. She was you know, probably in her mid seventies at the time. And she was on the first women's basketball team at Stanford. Oh my Um, gosh. Yeah. So she was a big supporter of, you know, female athletics and women coaches and all of those things. And she called me and she goes, I've never done this before. You know, I have this tennis court and I have, you know, three grandchildren and I'd love for them to learn tennis. So if, if you come over and, give them a lesson and they like you, um, you can have my tennis court. Wow. That's yeah. great. Yeah. So I went over and I gave them a lesson and we became all really good friends. Um, the grandkids have now graduated college, but we've stayed close all these years. And to this day, we still have lunch once a year for her birthday. That's incredible. Um, yeah. And she's, she's just such a lovely lady. Unfortunately, I was at the court for 10 years, but unfortunately, um, she sold the house Maybe three years ago, um, you know, as she got older, it was a fairly large property. Um, She lived there by herself. And she actually was so sad the day she told me that she was selling the house. Um, And the person who ended up ended up buying the house, it was not quite the same situation. So I chose to to give up um, that court. But during that time, um, you know, I had met my husband and gotten pregnant with my daughter and I started actually hiring people and, and having them, uh, what's that called? Shadow me on the court, um, during that time. And then I would put them out, I'm getting more courts and hiring more pros and just getting bigger and bigger. Sure. And the with the whole premise of just using private tennis courts in people's homes. So uh, uh, eventually Google Earth came into being and yes. you were able to find courts. But I mean, other than that, how did you know that people had tennis courts? Yeah. So, you know, over time and I live in the area and over time I you know started meeting more and more people and my client base got bigger and bigger and, you know, friends of friends or I've actually put notes in mailboxes probably 10 times over the years um, just in hopes of getting more. Um, but you know, each court has been its own situation and its own journey. It's kind of fun and exciting and scary all at the same time. Well, because you really are uh, walking into someone's home. So it it creates a relationship. It creates a, a story, I guess, between you and the owner. Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. And you know, each, each court, you know, has its own situation. Some people want to open up their home for, you know, neighbors and their friends only. And some people are open to, you know, kind of whatever you want. Some people want um, free lessons. Some people want to get paid, you know, all, all kinds of different situations, anything you can imagine. <laughs> you know? And you're just negotiating each one of those situations to make it work. That's amazing. Uh, absolutely. Well, and I understand this because I know on the West Side, uh, the public courts are pretty pretty well run, but they are completely packed, and it's very hard for a teaching pro to get into that situation. And especially if you do, usually you pay a commission or, or something to the city, I, right? I believe you have to have a special permit, but they only allow one or two coaches on the courts at this at a time so if there's eight courts in a location two courts only are for teaching and nobody else is allowed to bring a basket so you can actually get kicked out if you try to bring a basket on those courts it's really inconvenient it's you can't you can't run a business like that there's no way yeah yeah and yeah believe me i've been kicked out many times (laughs) (laughs) i'm sure we all have (laughs) Yeah, and for a while I was uh, helping run a program at the Westwood uh, Library, you know, the tennis courts that are on the top there, and then iTennis came in and took over that location. Mm. Um, and so I, iTennis, John Letts, they've been doing a really great job expanding and basically kind of controlling all of the kind of public tennis courts all around Southern California. Yeah, my, my very close friend Sarah Stone, you know, runs the um – I tennis and Cerritos. Yeah, we we did an interview with Sarah also here as well, and uh, it was so great to hear about women's tennis coaching. So uh, love her; she's amazing. Yep. Yeah, yeah, and I, I noticed she's on your page too as one of the people in. She she, she actually worked for me um, all last year. 
That's so great. Yeah, because yep. I know she was in transition. She was like trying to figure it out. And so that's great that she landed at Cerritos Eye Tennis. Yeah, I actually replaced her just now with another female, um, Alexandra Stevenson. Oh, that's great. Awesome. Yeah. So. So do you have enough private courts to keep all of this going? And how does that work? Uh, yeah, so. I never have enough private courts. Um, I have enough right now to keep us going, but I have six pros that work for me full time. Um, and right now I have six private courts and I actually have a special deal for SBW to provide the coach for Paul Revere Middle School and we get to use the two courts there. So we have eight courts that we're running. Um, That's great. Every day. Yeah. And have you connected at all with like the USTA and talking about like helping to maintain the courts or to grow tennis in your area? So I have not talked to the USTA, um, because I'm not sure that we see eye to eye, <laughs> but, um, that's kind of how home court came about. Um, you know, with Pam Shriver and myself, you know, we really noticed that there's so many courts that sit unused at people's homes. Um, there's so many courts everywhere that just sit unused. So we kind of got together and came up with this concept, basically scaling the business that I had started 15 years ago of SBW tennis. Well, you can't just drop Pam Shriver's <laughs> name and not tell the whole story of how you exactly, got connected with yeah. Pam. Yeah. So uh, actually Pam's funny, Pam, um, I've known Pam for a number of years. Um, her kids, you know, played in the league that SBW plays in. And she actually was a mom. Her kids go to school two blocks from my house. Um, and so I've known her through people and then just through my teaching for years and years, we have a lot of mutual friends. Um, and you know, I just called her up one day and I said, you know, Pam, I, I need to do something else. You know, I'm kind of grinding and grinding on the court and I need to figure out kind of another way to, you know, branch off. Um, and she goes, well, you know, I have a court at my house and we never really use it. Like, what do you think about that? And I said, huh, that's interesting. And, you know, she had actually asked me years ago if I wanted to use the court at her house for my business. And I, you know, politely declined just cause I didn't want to be, you have to really think about those situations. Right. Um, so, you know, after I had kind of declined that, we thought and thought and we go, you know, what if people were able to rent out unused courts at people's houses? And then we kind of went from there. Um, you know, we kind of brainstormed the idea together. And since then, I've kind of taken it the next step. Um, you know, Basically, the idea being that if you have an unused court at your house, you're able to allow only teachers to rent it out by the hour to people in your community. That's um, great. So yeah. it's almost like an Airbnb for tennis courts. It's exactly what it is. That's exciting. And so you and Pam came up with this idea. Yeah. Right. Well, first of all, I have to back up and say, I mean, you said you were uh, teaching her kids. Is that right? Her son, Sam, has played in our clinics for years. That's great. So, yeah. so you know, Pam Shriver, who has won 21, you know, women's singles titles, 111 yeah. women's doubles titles, brings her son for you to coach. I mean, that's kind of intimidating, is it not? <laughs> she She's funny because she actually, she doesn't pay that close attention. She loves it. I think she just loves being out there so much. She loves it so much that she can't even let balls sit on the court. She walks around for an hour and a half with her hopper, just picking up, <laughs> just picking up balls. She just that's, loves. She loves the talk shop. Oh, that's so great. That it reminds me. I I helped to do a clinic with Sloan Stevens at UCLA, and her mom was also the same, who also runs the foundation. Just picking up trash, picking up tennis balls, just the nicest, amazing woman. And uh, it was so humbling to see this. Yeah, agreed. So, so super cool that Pam is like that. I use her first name like I know her. Well, I have met her a couple of times, but she wouldn't know who I am. <laughs> but uh, so you and Pam Travers decide, hey, let's create something. And what comes out of that creation? So, yeah, out of that came an idea called Home Court. And we actually... You know, it kind of started where we met at her house one night and invited kind of some 
key players in the tennis community that she knew and that I knew. And I just kind of got up and pitched them the idea just to hear some feedback. Um, you know, there was a lot of, there was a lot of concern, um, at that meeting, which was, you know, a bit of a, you know, eye opener for me, you know, things like insurance and this and that. And I said, look guys, I've been doing this for 15 years. It's the same thing that I've been doing. Um, you know, we got, once we got kind of all these little things cleared up, um, so that everyone felt good about it. Um, you know, we've just been developing it from there and we've come up with some pretty cool things that I, that I really feel is going to change tennis. I really feel it's going to make a big impact. Well, this is really important news, especially in the light of the fact that I know uh, Westwood Park, just right in your backyard, is bulldozing six public courts to build a soccer field. Um, oh, wow. And, yeah, and uh, I know in my area in downtown Los Angeles, the Y uh, that used to have the courts on the top of the World Trade Center just recently closed their courts and they're going to renovate. And in general, we're losing courts all over the city. And I, I got to imagine it's also the same nationally. Have you heard anything about kind of stats of how many home courts there are nationally? Um, so I don't know nationally, but I do know from Beverly Hills to Malibu, there's over 10,000. 10,000. That's yeah. staggering. Yeah. It's very big. There's a lot of courts and there's certain communities that have, you know, every house has one. Like up in the Palisades Highlands, there's a gated community that every single house, 20 houses in a row, all have courts. That's amazing. Well, I'd, I'd love to pursue this with you because I know I, I'm towards the Pasadena area, and there actually is a whole area of houses that have four or five home courts, and we actually, uh, they allow us to play just as community friends, so we go and play on those courts, but I don't think anybody teaches on them. But they're also kind of in different states of disarray, right, mm -hmm. because it costs so much to upkeep and stuff, so that's well, kind of why... It's interesting. Sorry to interrupt you. It's no, go for it. It's so interesting um, that you say that because one of the things once home court really gets off the ground that I would like to do is, you know, once we have enough courts and it's actually generating some money, I would actually like to be able to exchange redoing people's courts for the use of the court. Sure. Well, yeah. and that's that's kind of why I brought up the whole um, USTA thing, because at, at our program in Azusa, for the city of Azusa, the, the USTA actually helped uh, partly fund the refurbishment, adding lights and repaving the courts and new nets and things like that. So just a, just another thought in your brain, uh, you know, if there's funds out there, that's their mission. You know, could this also be a strategic partnership for you as well? Totally. No, you know, I've I've absolutely, you know, had conversations with the USPTA, um, yep. you know, with Carrie Buck and, yep. um, you know, she's a good friend of Pam's and she's a great lady and she's a hundred percent behind home court. And, you know, look, I'm always looking for partners. Anybody yeah. <laughs> that wants to help the mission, we're always looking for partners. We're, we're always stronger together. Uh, and exactly. especially especially as, as small as the tennis community is, we really need to find ways to work together. Uh, I just recently had a uh, conversation with my USTA rep and he, they were doing like a questionnaire for coaches and asking how can we grow tennis and trying to get some information and then submit that to national to see if that has any impact for 2020. But you know, one of the things I was saying is just tennis can be so territorial and, and if we're not working together, it's, it's really tough to grow the game together, right? Very tough. So yeah. one of the ways that I ex help to expand tennis is by investing in Tennis Pal and being a part of that whole program. And I was so excited to see that you became a part of that as well. So how did that all happen? I did. So um, Sarah, actually, when I, when I first started chatting with Sarah, um, she had met Hala and she was just starting out to create Tennis Pal Coach. Um, which is the system of, you know, analyzing videos, um, that tennis pals now doing, um, it should be up live, I think. Yep. Um, but so she introduced me to Hala and at the time, you know, Hala or tennis pal was kind of looking for anybody that would want to come on the platform and help to make kind of a one-stop shop. 
Right. And so we kind of, you know, Sarah has really great access to coaches through WTCA and her, all of her coaching experience and her speaking, um, and just her network from coaching on tour. And, you know, I really was the only one that they had ever met that has had this access to courts. Um, so they thought, wow, what a great thing is to put coaches together with courts and make it, you know, what do coaches need to teach tennis? Well, they need clients. They need clients and, they need and courts. courts. <laughs> I'm so, right there with you. Yeah. Yeah. So I think, you know, Pam and I, we had always said it because, you know, we are, we're connecting coaches with courts. That's our mission is to connect coaches with courts, you know, amongst other things that we hope will change things for coaches. Um, but that's, that's kind of how Tennis Pal started for me and Hala, you know, had basically agreed to make home court a reality through Tennis Pal. That's super exciting. I mean, that is such a need uh, for all players. It, let's say you're traveling, you're on the Tennis Pal app, and you're just looking for courts. You're looking for a, a coach in the area that you can hire to have a hitting partner, and maybe all the courts are, are full in the public uh, domain. And so how great to have a complete database of places you can play anywhere in the United States. Yeah, so the only the only catch to that is that the only people that can book the home courts are coaches. So two people that want to just go play will not be able to book a home court. Sure, but what would be exciting is if you wanted to set up a, a hitting session maybe with lesson. a coach. Yes, yep, a lesson. Totally, absolutely. Right, right that absolutely. kind of thing. It's funny because, you know, I have people, friends like Gigi Fernandez, for example, you know, comes into town and she'll call me and go, hey, Shauna, can I use one of your courts? You know, I have this person that wants to, you know, play with me. And, you know, even someone like Gigi doesn't have anywhere to go. Right. Exactly. It's it's tough to find places. And as I said, with Westwood Park, uh, courts are closing all the time and uh, it's it's definitely putting our game in jeopardy, as well as the development of pickleball, which is really kind of co-opting a lot of the courts and moving people from tennis to pickleball or just starting a different phase and using those courts. Are you finding that at all? Yeah, I actually um, have someone who works for me that trains one of the top um, boys, 16-year-olds in the country. And he was didn't have a tournament one weekend and they wanted to hit... Um, and I needed him off one of my private courts and I told him, Hey, why don't you just go to Memorial park? The courts there are great and they're never even used. And he went over there and all the courts had been turned into pickleball courts. Right. Right. Which, uh, you know, no, no hate on pickleball because it's great that people are out there playing any sport and getting any (laughs) activity and exercise, but obviously it's competition for the sport that I love the most. And, uh, I would love to see tennis grow as well. So, um, yeah, it's a, it's a tough problem to solve, and it's so great that you've had the creativity and the ingenuity to try to create a solution uh, partnering with Tennis Pal and Pam Shriver. Yeah, I, you know, look, I'm really excited. I think there's there's so many benefits of this for everyone in tennis, not just the clients, um, you know, being able to kind of have tennis more accessible to them, um, you know, with, with this, you're not going to be able to have to join a club anymore. You're just going to be able to hopefully play closer to home and play with the coach that you choose to play with. Yeah, that's great. I, it's uh, a, a, another example of disruption and being able to make it available to the masses, which is really needed. I totally, I totally agree. But And on the other side, you know, for coaches, I think – such a positive response that I've had to home court has been, you know, where they realize that they're no longer kind of going to be giving most of their money to the tennis director. You know, they're going to be able to set their own rates and really get paid what they deserve for the hard work that they're putting in. Yeah, that's really exciting. Very cool. Well, and you're in Southern California, but I, I noticed that you're also reaching out to other areas. Yeah, we are. We, um, are going to be on the East Coast up in the Hamptons and Rhode Island and Connecticut. And we're going to be in Cincinnati and Indian Hill area right outside Mason where the ATP tournament is. And Dallas, 
pretty big contingent of private homes out in Dallas and Southern California, and then hopefully expand on from there as people kind of catch wind of what we're doing. That's really amazing concept. I, I love hearing all about it, and it just gets me excited because I love the game of tennis so much. I know all of our listeners do. That's why they connect with us, and we're so excited that they can hear about this. Now they want to get involved. They hear about this idea. What do they do? How do they get involved? Yeah, so I think the main thing is is if they have a unused cord at their house or if they have a friend that has an unused cord at their house, they can – you know, sign up with the URL on um, the Tennis Pal website and they're going to be able to register their court and just get going. I think, you know, for homeowners, just a quick thing, it's really cool that if they don't really want, if they don't really care about the money, you know, per hour that coaches are paying to be on their court, they can also choose to donate the money to the charity of their choice every month. So, That's super exciting. Yeah. Super, so you're saying that the the homeowners could possibly get paid for using the court. That's part of the program. Oh, they the will. Get, they will get paid. Yeah. So if I book the court and let's say it's twenty dollars an hour, and they say that the court's available for four hours, you know, Monday through Thursday, and it gets booked for sixteen hours, then uh, once a week, Tennis Pal will actually, you know deposit that money, either direct deposit to the homeowners, or they can just press a button on their portal that says donate to whatever charity that they feel passionate about. Wow, that's incredible. Well, I do have the link that you sent me for people to sign up uh, to register their home. So I'll definitely put that in the show notes. And I know it's already up on Tennis Pal, so we'll get the word out there. What about if they want to have a conversation with you about this whole home court idea? How would people connect with you? Oh, they can absolutely just call me or email me. <laughs> call <Okay>. or email. <laughs> Great. So you don't mind if I put uh, Shauna at sbwtennis.com on our show notes. That's okay, perfect. great. No, I'm really happy to talk to anybody about it, and especially if they're kind of on someone that's on the fence about whether they should open up their home for neighbors and friends. Um to take their lessons, um, I'd love to talk to them and tell them why you know they're really making such a big impact on their community. Well, I would imagine because it's it's through an app, so it there's a sense of unpersonalness to that side of it. But I'm sure that you're going to also kind of be a concierge or te tennis pal is to make sure that the coaches that are being assigned to these courts are people that the homeowners feel comfortable with. Yeah. So everybody, all coaches are certified coaches. Um, number one, number two, all coaches have insurance. Um, and number three, all coaches have to sign up through the tennis pal coach, which means that you've already been pre-approved by Sarah or myself or Halla, um, to be on the app. So sure. it's full pre-approval process. Everybody has, you know, references that have been checked, background checks, and these are all people who are reputable members of the tennis community. Right. Very cool. Well, this has really been an exciting conversation. I'm super excited about what's going to happen here. I'd love to bring you back uh, in six months or so and hear the development of what's happening with the whole home court idea and the partnership with Tennis Pal. I think our listeners would love to learn as well as kind of see how it's growing. I think this is so needed in providing coaches with courts. That's a wonderful slogan and a great mission. Thanks. I'm really, I'm excited to share it with everyone and I hope people get on board the home court, the home court train. Great. And of course, if people want to take lessons and they just happen to be in the area because they hear, you know, what a, an amazing coach you are, uh, how would they connect with you? Would that also be through email? Email's perfect. Great. And I know your website is sbwtennis.com, right? That's right. Very cool. Well, Shauna, thank you so much for your time. I know how busy you are, and it's just so great to connect with you and hear your wonderful story and especially your passion for tennis. We just want to encourage you to keep it up and keep supporting tennis and helping to grow the game. We think it's awesome. Thanks, Philip. I'm really happy that I got to do this and um, can't wait to reconnect soon. Yes, we'll talk soon. Thank you so much. All right. Thanks so much. Bye-bye. 
Wow, Philip. Uh, I really liked what I heard from that interview. I think Good she, stuff. Yeah, she's so great. I mean, I love her passion. I love what she's doing with kind of innovating and creating space for tennis uh, in the private realm. So I think that's so smart. Yeah, I definitely am excited to hear, for me anyway, as a Tennis Pal app supporter. Um, it does so much for me in my personal life of being like a tennis fan and a person who plays tennis um, that it, it just, I can't wait to see the development there. Like yeah. that is what I took away. I mean, most of what I just heard is like just being really as a, as a fan of you being an amazing coach and hoping that this tool uh-huh. will now help you as well. <laughs> Thank um, you. But just also as a fan of Tennis Pal and just seeing the growth and like the ways that they're expanding their horizons. Yeah. Super excited. And that is the question, right? How do we grow tennis? I think all of the USTA is scratching their heads saying, how do we grow tennis? Uh, especially in the younger areas. One of the problems of growing tennis, as Shauna points out, is we just don't have courts. So let coaches have courts and this is one of the solutions for that so i think that is super great and i love that tennis pal is going to be a part of that that tennis pal is coming alongside home court and developing this as a part of the tennis pal app so that it can grow that it can be more inclusive and be kind of an airbnb for tennis courts Uh, i think that's an awesome development i love it i think the idea is great and i can't wait to see them soar yeah so i think in 2020, we'll bring uh, Shauna back, maybe even talk to Halle and see the founder of Tennis Pal and see how that's developing, but something really to look forward to. And how about the story about Pam Shriver, huh? Yeah, that's pretty cool. I mean, my goodness. Uh, I I would feel so nervous trying to coach <laughs> someone's <laughs> yeah. child. Can you imagine like Andy Roddick's kid or yeah. Roger Federer's kid? Who coaches Roger Federer's twins? I mean, I know somebody does because I saw pictures of the kids playing tennis. Yeah. Can you imagine the It's pressure? Martina Hingis's mom. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> that makes sense. Oh, that would be Smith awesome thing. if she did. Yeah. Melanie Monitor. <laughs> she, she would have them be little Grand Slam champions. <laughs> <laughs> and we always say, like, if there are two sets of twins, that means they could be singles champions, doubles champions. Mixed doubles. Mixed doubles. <laughs> Men's and women's. Can you imagine... I mean, honestly, the odds are so unlikely, but right. stranger things have happened. Right. And it is Roger Federer's kids. Right. So I wouldn't put it past him. And what if what if the next generation was Andy Murray's yeah. kid versus Djokovic Roger and Roger? Yeah. Oh my goodness. And Rafa just got married, so hey, you know. Yeah. He'll have a young up and comer who will <laughs> watch none of them play tennis at all. <laughs> They're like, I wanna snowboard yeah exactly or maybe soccer right or football yeah i'd say yeah because <laughs> i think they all played football when they were yeah 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 right they all have incredible hand-eye foot-eye coordination yeah i think uh i think for roger he was trying to like debate whether he was going to play football or tennis yeah like same with rafa i heard that rafa was extremely oh, yeah. good mm-hmm. yeah he was good and he had that uncle who was a pro right player so right I think he made a good choice. <laughs> yeah. You think? I mean, if it was if I was voting, I would have I would have voted for him to go play soccer. <laughs> Just kidding. Oh man. Wow. Yeah, and we we have to hear from our Rafa Nadal reporter about the wedding. Yeah. Don't you think he's kind of stalking him and trying to figure out like how that all went down? There was a lot of cool pictures and video and I didn't we need to do a recap. Yeah, for sure. That'd be great. Well, Philip, how do people get a hold of Shauna if they want, if they are interested in any of her services or helping with her ideas? See, that's why you're here. You're so good. (laughs) So first of all, her website is sbwtennis.com. And that's where you can find out all about her uh, coaching and her program and what she's been doing. And you can contact her there. Of course, you can email her, Shauna at sbwtennis.com. And then she also said, you know, you can just call her and connect with her. I'm not going to give out her phone number online. But you can just, you know, she really wants to talk to people, especially if you have a private court in your home that you want to consider maybe using in this way so that uh, professional coaches can come and coach on your court and you can set up a deal and make that court available 
um, not only to grow the game, but also I think it's for their benefit as well, Mm because they would get some kind of residual payment as well. So I think that would be super awesome. I'm really excited to see what Shauna is going to do in the future. And I mean, she's been coaching for 17 years. So um, to be able to do as well as she's done in the very competitive West LA area, I mean, wow, she must have a really, really great program. Uh, Palisades, Brentwood, um, Santa Monica. So if you're in that area and you're looking for a great coach and a great program, definitely check out sbwtennis.com. Great. And I'm going to also put the link for where Tennis Pal is collecting home court information. They're building a database. So I'll put that up in the show notes and people can just go there, click on the link and fill out your information and we'll contact you and kind of connect with you and have a one-on-one conversation about using your courts in the upcoming year. Awesome. I'll make sure to put my home court on that list. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not sure that the um, carpet mini tennis that you have counts. What about the grass court I have in my backyard? (laughs) It looks like Wimbledon uh, finals day. Just dirt with a couple patches of grass. (laughs) Like that one area of all dirt right at the baseline. (laughs) Yeah, that's that's how my whole court looks. (laughs) That's how my front lawn looks. (laughs) (laughs) We should try and play one day and... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> in the dirt. dirt yeah <laughs> i honestly haven't ever played on red clay so i have that to look forward to yes and and of course if i could ever play on like true grass courts what, Ooh, what that there's some like. in palm springs that's what i heard palm springs yeah. a friend of mine was trying to get me to go out there a couple months ago and I, I was busy i was out of town um in big bear so i didn't get to go but i would like to go me too. That we would should be go together. Fun. Absolutely. You can give me lessons. No, no, we'll just have fun. We'll just play. That would be awesome. Yeah. Love playing tennis. So we're at the end of the year. This is November. And well, it's like you said, it's the off season finally. But there is actually kind of a lot of ex, exo stuff happening, right? Well, I think Roger's in South America doing exo stuff. And well, then isn't there Davis Cup stuff happening as Davis well Cup just started right kind of controversial very well yeah Oops. <laughs> <laughs> i'm like if there's no ranking points or prize money no <laughs> don't pay attention yeah i should probably pay more attention to that i think i think i should too <laughs> that would be great um but yeah just on a parting note i mean any last thoughts on the atp finals and all the matches and the big three going out which was crazy well of course, as a Roger fan, to see him whoop Djokovic like that and give us such a thrill, and then to just follow it up with like a dud performance. I mean, I heard people say that Sitsipas just outplayed him, mm. but I just felt like Roger was really flat and he did not there. show up just at didn't all. Show up. Mm-hmm. Um, it's kind of like actually when the young up and comer will beat like a Roger or right. a Djokovic and then the next right. round they just suck and they're right. out. <laughs> like it was like Roger doing that, which is so uncharacteristic. Um, so that, that was, you know, it was like a super highlight and then a total bummer. But I'll tell you what, like uh, team and Djokovic, their match was amazing. Mm. And I think it was round Robin. Well, it was, I don't know why I said, I think it was round Robin and it was an amazing match. Um, and then the final, I found to be very entertaining. Sitsipas and team, like for me, the one-handed backhand, like extravaganza. Yeah. It was like Christmas morning. Backhand porn. Oh my gosh, totally. <laughs> it was like so satisfying. And it went down to a final tiebreak. So, I mean, how much more exciting can it be? Yeah, for reals. I mean, I I don't even know who I was rooting for. I really didn't care. I like them both mm. as people and tennis players. Their games are so fun to watch. Yeah. Like Sitsipas to me is like so much variety. He kind of reminds me of Roger and team is like so powerful. Sometimes he reminds me of Vavrinka. Oh, um, that's interesting. Yeah. And so I, I was, I don't know. I didn't know who I was rooting for, but I, I felt like I was kind of rooting more for team maybe because he's older and I feel like his opportunities are just going to be less than Sitsipas. Mm. So they feel like Sitsipas's future is so bright and mm. he has a million things to look forward to. Um, so I was, I was, um, int- or it was interesting for me, I guess, to see team just kind of like not take it. I yeah. thought he would. I mean, he was dominating pretty well in the beginning. I mean, gosh, the first he, set. Bo- he beat Djokovic and Federer. And last year, 
Zverev did the same thing. Yeah. So I thought for sure that team was going to take it. They, I just felt like that was the pattern, you know? It wasn't. And they gave a weird, or not weird. I don't know why I said that. They gave an interesting stat. Um, that team was 11-0 in deciding sets this year. Mm. So he had never lost a decide like a third or fifth set mm. um, until then. Yeah. And I think he was even up like a mini break. Mm. And playing really well. And then just like, what was he doing? He just, I was very surprised to actually see him lose. But again, I was very happy for Sitsipas. I really like that kid. Like, I can totally get behind him. And yeah, he's so interesting, so unique. Yeah. Well, I know our Sitsipas reporter, uh, Crystal from Talk Tennis Tea, mm-hmm. she was posting a lot on Twitter. She was super happy that Sitsipas won. So I'm looking forward to her update and all the exuberance I'm sure she's going to share as well. Yeah. Hopefully I can get all the reporters to submit a kind of a year-end report and how was the year for their player. I think that would be a lot of fun. Yes. I talked to the Serena reporter. She said she would do it. <laughs> She's so easy. (laughs) (laughs) They wouldn't be the first person to say that. Oh, no. (laughs) Uh Uh-oh. Hopefully we don't get an explicit. (laughs) Easy going, easy going. That's what she is. She's She's just like smooth sailing. Yeah, yeah. she's just like cool, calm, and collected. (laughs) She's a cool cucumber. (laughs) But I do miss our reporters and hearing from them and from their perspective and the passion that they have for their players. So hopefully we'll get pull that together before the end of the year it'd be kind of a nice christmas present right yeah i think so i think we should we should do something to make that happen <laughs> sounds great send out emails Let's send out an emails <laughs> stock people <laughs> i know fiona hopefully uh, they actually listen to this podcast so like hey if you're listening <laughs> if you're listening to the podcast you're a part of <laughs> well i know they they definitely retweet it so i appreciate awesome. that awesome yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> i know fiona was pretty devastated i saw some of her tweets and you know when roger lost being yeah. a roger federer reporter she was pretty upset so that's kind of tough and then tanya probably to see Djokovic lose the mm. number one ranking the number one ranking. i'm sure he wanted that you yes. know to beat pete sampras's yes. record of yeah. six yeah or five to get to six yeah yeah and that's why i i didn't i, I think it's great that is won i think it's awesome that team was there but i don't put a ton of stock in the atp finals because i just feel like last year's of right mm-hmm. just swept and you felt like wow this is it this is the beginning the new dawn the era of Zverev, and then what nothing yeah, nothing so a lot of people are saying okay i think Sitsipas is different though <laughs> i don't think he's going to be a Zverev. i don't think so but i don't also think that this means that it ushers in a new era of Zverev and the young guns which a lot of people are saying oh the the top three couldn't pull it together and this is the new era and the new guys are coming up Eh, I don't know I think they are going to make a very gradual run to where you will just see sprinklings of runs through tournaments where they make it like a deep run maybe take out a Rafa and a Djokovic and a Roger like Probably Roger like four times a year, mm. Djokovic twice, and Nadal twice, or something, something like that. <laughs> you know, is that um, your prediction? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it'll just be like I don't know. I don't think that they're just gonna like come and dominate and like cast out the top three, but I think they will start pushing the envelope mm-hmm. more mm-hmm. Um, this year, and they're gonna build confidence and um, start just having a few more victories. Yeah, we'll see. Maybe. Yeah. I don't think, uh, personally, I don't think it's time yet. I think Djokovic, I mean, you know, he's he didn't seem injured when he was playing. Did you see him rubbing his elbow? Yeah. And- well, I would rub my elbow, too, if Roger was kicking my butt. <laughs> he, Roger played an insanely good game. I mean, it was so smart. It was so strategic. He really was playing almost more defensive a lot of times, just mm-hmm. keeping the ball going. Take standing right on that baseline and just um, blocking the ball back. It was really, really different tennis for him, I think. Yeah. But he pulled it through. He won. It was nice. And you know what? I'm thinking about it. Just to clarify, uh, I don't think that the young people are going to be winning titles. Right. Right. Or slams. Uh, yeah. I think, well, they might get like two masters out of the year, right? And maybe one final of a slam. What I think is that of the top three... 
they're going to beat one of them and then lose to the next one they play right. somewhere. But but they're going to start like sprinkling in just like beating them more right. probably before the final where they have to, you know, they're going to have to face the next one and then lose. And that's why it's so tough in this era, right? Because before there was a Pete Sampras and if Pete Sampras lost, okay, then you got yeah. a chance. The, the heavens are open, mm-hmm. you know? <laughs> the pot of gold is ahead. Here, you might beat one but then you've got two more, like you said, and yeah. it's just they're they're all so strong and so good and just yeah. Incredible. And when stands on, I mean, yeah, he's kind of really in there too as yeah. as a force. Um, if Andy Murray, if he's able to make a nice healthy comeback, you know, mm-hmm. I don't really know that his fitness is going to be there. But imagine if you have to meet an Andy Murray in the second round because of where his ranking is. And then, you know, two rounds later, now you're meeting, like, Stan. And yeah. then you have to play Roger and Rafa or something. Like, I mean, <laughs> who can do that? It's a tough one. It it's is a tough. tough ask, yeah. Yes. Well, but it'll be so exciting. Yeah, I think it's going to be a great year for tennis. We're very excited about 2020. But we still have a couple of more podcasts coming up. I'm very excited about some of the interviews that I've done. So we'll be looking forward to that. Yeah, I just finished an interview with uh, Thomas Katowski. Actually, he goes by Tom, and he has a website called Healthy Referral. So that'll be our next podcast, and we can um, check in with him about kind of the health side of tennis. Uh, I think that was a really great interview. He's such a great learner. So that's coming up. And also in the can, I still have a Byron interview that I did where we talked about choosing rackets and uh, what kind of tennis racket you should play with especially as a beginner or someone who's just getting into tennis so have that to look forward to as well awesome can't wait and we should have some fan favorite reports as well to come up that's right so and all of this wouldn't be possible if it wasn't for tennis pal we really appreciate them supporting our podcast they are so amazing so thank you so much tennis pal and all the people there uh, we really want to encourage you to go download the app Tennis Pal. And especially if you're a tennis coach, also there's a whole new area uh, about tennis coaching. So um, that's how we met Shauna. Shauna is one of the tennis coaches that's on there. Uh, Sarah Stone is also on there. So there's a, a slew of really great coaches that are joining the Tennis Pal family. You can go online now, ha- uh, sign up with them, have a video coaching lesson with them. Uh, have one-on-one contact. I, I myself am on there as well in Southern California. So definitely check out Tennis Pal and Tennis Pal Coaches. It's really cool. And we really want to hear from you. We love feedback. Don't you? I do. Gosh, I want to hear what people think of our show. Don't you? Yeah, and I'd love to have like questions or reviews are cool too. Super cool, especially on iTunes if you could review it. Give us a positive. That would be awesome. Um, If you enjoy the show, please subscribe to it and review it for us. And we really appreciate you guys listening. Share it with your friends. Let them know that Tennis Pal Chronicles is here. And uh, let people know that we're here with a passion for tennis and we're supporting the game. Valerie, thank you so much for being my co-host. It's so fun to get together with you and talk about tennis. Isn't it? Yes. I mean, we do it anyway, so why not record it and throw it out into the world and see which lucky person gets to hear it. (laughs) As we assault their ears. Yes. And Valerie, I had that super proud moment. Thank you so much for coming to my album release party. That was so nice of you. Oh, that was cool. Both of us were representing Roger Federer there. I had the RF hat on. You had the full gear on. So it was just super cool. It was like our own language amidst the whole music crowd, you know? Philip, first of all, you just reminded me two things. Yes. First of all, you're actually not in a Roger Federer hat right now. I don't I know, think I've ever seen ever. this. Actually, it, I couldn't find it, so I just grabbed the hat. Oh, got you. Well, yeah. I have one in the house if you want to borrow no. it. Um, secondly, what I'm just remembering, as you said, I showed up in full Roger Federer gear, which I did. Um <laughs> On the tennis podcast, Catherine and, and David Lowe and Matt were making fun of Roger Federer fans so hard. One Aww. one episode, I think, um, last week, like Wednesday, it was like day three of uh, the tour finals. And they were talking about like what grown men, like these are grown men and they're wearing like Roger Federer Absolutely. things. And they're like, they're, and then... And then the next day they're walking out in the world like 
like they're normal people, you know. And they were they were clowning Federer fans so hard. Aww. It was hilarious. I was I was dying. It was one of my favorite episodes because we could totally relate. That is me. Yeah, I wanted to call. I wish it was a live episode so I could call in and say like, hey. No, I have the best. I mean, one of the reasons I started this podcast is because I have the best interactions with tennis uh, friends and especially Federer fans. But like I was in New Orleans, I think it was New Orleans. I was wearing a Roger Federer hat, and this this beautiful lady w- walked by me, and she said, "Hey, nice hat." And she had <laughs> she had an RF hat on too. Awesome. And she like gave me the nod. Yeah. And you know the people around me were like, "Oh my gosh, I can't believe you guys!" <laughs> <laughs> like like it doesn't matter if we don't know each other. We just know that we love Fed, and then we're Fed kind of people. You know. Yes. Tennis for sure. kind of people. So yeah, it's it's so great to find your tribe and and you know, my goodness, I love meeting all the people on Twitter that are crazy fans for whichever tennis player they support. I love that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> One of these days you'll show me how to use Twitter. <laughs> yes, come and visit me, Love Set Match on Twitter, and uh, you can see all my grown man memes. <laughs> <laughs> All my Federer collection, all my um, tweets when he's uh, serving so well or losing a match. But that's why we love it, right? The podcast to feed your passion for all things tennis. That's us, Tennis Pal Chronicles. Valerie, I think it's time to say goodnight. Thank you so much for joining me. We out. We out. And may all your serves be be aces. aces.